more money won't make you happier. No, no, wait. More money will make you happier. Wait, wait, that, that, that can't be right either. Now science is saying that it depends on the person. Okay, now I'm confused. This is what science does. They argue until they get a big enough consensus, and then they say that's the new rule. Now remember, scientists who said smoking was healthy for you, or maybe you were around in 2014 on the cover of Time magazine, it simply read, Eat Butter, with the subtitle, Scientists Labeled Fat the Enemy, Why They Were Wrong. Now I'm here to clear up the confusion. Now, this episode is not about butter, and it's not about smoking. But if you want permanent happiness, if you want to avoid money fatigue and learn what God says about how to stay happy, regardless of how much money you make, follow me as we go through the eyes of King Solomon, the son of David, and hear some information that is timeless and doesn't change. Stay tuned on this episode of Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things. You are now listening to Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things, where Christians like you come to learn about investing from a biblical perspective. My name is A.B. Ridgway. I'm the host of Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things in my mom's favorite Christian financial advisor. I have been in the financial industry for over a decade and opened a Christian investment firm to help investors like you become rich in spirit and righteous in action by bridging the gap between your faith and your finances. Today, I'm going to share a reason a majority of investors are not happy even when they make more money and how they can stay happy forever. We will take a spiritual perspective through Solomon's search for happiness, how to use this mentality to build your investment portfolio, and wrap up with how to eliminate a mental roadblock that is stopping you from being happy. If you want permanent happiness, if you want to avoid money fatigue, you are in the right place. Life is meaningless. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. These are the grim words that start off the books of Ecclesiastics. Vanity, being defined as the quality of something being worthless or futile. Not to be confused with the excessive pride in or admiration of one's own appearance or achievements. Not necessarily something you would expect out of one of the wisdom books of the Bible. Even though it's not clear if these are the words of Solomon or the words about Solomon, it is clear this preacher was a king over Israel in Jerusalem and had something heavy on his heart that he wanted to share. Known to be one of the richest men in the Bible and one of the sons of David who slew Goliath, by the way, and became king, we lean on him to help us understand the mind of the wealthy. Before we go deeper, we have to understand the life that Solomon came from. His mother was Bathsheba who had to live through the death of her husband in war, Uriah, at the command of David, who would have an affair with her. As a consequence of their sin, God took their firstborn child. It fell ill. And even though David prayed and fasted all night long, it was futile or vanity. And when Solomon was born, the older sons of David and his other wives were already plotting to take over the kingdom, Imagine the confusion with so many half-brothers and sisters all fighting for the crown that Solomon had to deal with. Now, money without money management skills is vanity. Through all the murders, lies, and exile, Solomon becomes king and inherits the throne of his father David. God visits him one night and Solomon speaks to God concerning his fear of ruling the kingdom. 
He describes the kingdom like dust of the earth in multitude. And at this moment, Solomon is overwhelmed. God notices this and tells him, ask what I shall give thee. A man that is king over a great nation only wants one thing. He thinks and asks God, give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before his people. God is so proud of him. God gives an eloquent response to his choice when he says, because this was in the heart of thou, has not asked for riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemy. Neither yet has asked long life, but has asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou may have judged my people over whom I have made you king. And because of this, God continues to say, Not only will I give you the wisdom and knowledge you desire, but I will give you the riches that no king has seen before you, and no king will have after you. See, Solomon prayed for the kingdom management skills, and God gave him the kingdom. Solomon has seen great kings fall due to lack of wisdom. Have you seen a celebrity who made hundreds of millions of dollars in the broke? Have you seen friends and family members who were doing so well, and then all of a sudden, they need financial help? Well, why? Because they had the money, but they didn't have the money management skills. Now, I definitely understand life happens sometimes. But we're speaking about most of the time, not all the time. And understand this, your wealth becomes worthless without the skills to management. Hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. But the word vanity is a slight misinterpretation of the Hebrew word where it's actually hevel. Hevel, hevel, everything is utterly hevel. Hevel is actually closer translated into smoke or vapor. With this viewpoint, we get a deeper meaning of the scripture smoke or vapor or mist as something that looks like it has substance, but when you go to grab it, it disappears. Or even over time, as Solomon points out, it will be forgotten as if it was not even there. So what is wealth? Why should we accumulate it? Why should we spend our lives trying to get it? Will it bring us the happiness that we desire? And the answer is no. There was a study done by Daniel Kahneman, who was a famous psychologist who wrote the book Think Fast and Slow. And the conclusion in 2010 was that $75,000 was the happiness threshold, give or take where you live, some a little bit more, a little bit less, depending if you're in New York or if you're in Louisiana. Now, after this amount, the spike in happiness starts to plateau. In more recent years, there have been other great intellectuals who actually challenge this theory and say that, yes, the initial spike of happiness out of poverty due to increases of income does exist, but it is also possible that it continues past these initial benchmarks. Now, what's the determining factor? As I said in the intro, the person. But who would have guessed, right? We understand that when you compare and contrast, these are the secrets to happiness. So yes, you are going to be happier with more money and all that's going to be dependent on the person. The study theorizes that those who are suffering from mental illness, such as depression, anxiety, and other complications, more money will not increase their happiness. But those who continue to live a fulfilling life will still experience happiness as their income increases. So what does this have to do with Solomon and wealth? 
But I want to take this theory to the next level before I answer that question. I truly believe that happiness and sadness are directly correlated to their reference points. If you go onto Google and look up cognitive biases, you will see a long list of heuristics of these mental shortcuts or things that our brains use to understand this world. Unfortunately, these heuristics don't always work in our favor. The one I'm going to focus on today is called anchoring. Anchoring, which is used to explain some of the unusual behaviors we see in price expectations in the market and in your portfolio. According to Investopedia, anchoring describes an irrational bias toward an arbitrary benchmark figure. This benchmark then skews decision-making regarding the security by market participants, such as when to sell the investments. If you need me to break that down, an arbitrary benchmark figure means that one is not really based on fact, it's just one that we make up in our heads. If you buy a stock for $100, you may anchor at 105, 100, or 95. It's arbitrary. There's no rhyme or reason why we do so. Anchoring can also be used as an advantage in sales and price negotiations, where setting an initial anchor can influence subsequent negotiations in your favor. I'll give you a good example. When you go to certain stores, if you look at the price tag, it says it was $200. Now it's marked off 10% and you get an additional 5% coupon. That is what they call anchoring. That initial number is an anchor. That is what you tie the value of that item to and you determine the value going forward based on how far away from that number it becomes, whether it's up or down, if you're going to buy or if you're going to keep it on the store floor. So in basic terms, if you buy a stock at $100, then that is your anchor. Your happiness or sadness about the stock is going to be anchored to that price. When it is above 100, you're happy. And when it is below that number, you may experience some sadness or even regret. This irrational bias can cause investors to sell too soon or hold on to a position too long or discount red flags and market signals that the stock may or may not be good to hold on to. So if you choose the right anchor in your portfolio and in your personal life, you will have a better chance of experiencing permanent happiness. I haven't ran across a parent yet that wasn't happy that their child was more prosperous to them. I haven't ran across a good parent that wasn't happy that their kids had a stronger spiritual connection with God than they did because of all the work that they invested into them. Anchoring permanent happiness. When you're thinking about your wealth, what are you anchoring to? Are you comparing and contrasting your life to the life of your favorite celebrity? Are you comparing your modest three-bedroom, two-bath home to their 20-room mansion? Or are you comparing your life to when you were in college and broke? Are you anchoring your perception to the two-bedroom, one-bath home with six people that you grew up in? Can you see the difference? Comparison is a thief of joy if you don't compare in the right direction. When we first gain wealth, many investors anchor their happiness to when they didn't have anything and are in a state of bliss. But soon, they start looking at their neighbors and start to covet what they have. This is the devil's deception. I have a video about one of the first deceptions of the devil where he distracts Eve from her abundance and has her focus on her lack. She could eat from every tree in the garden except for one. And it was this poor anchoring that caused her to sin. When you create your financial plan, you want to establish the appropriate anchors. 
You have to set personal goals that are unique to your situation to help you stay focused. If you're constantly looking back at how far you've come, you will always appreciate the growth. But if you're constantly thinking about where you are not and how far you have to go, you will live in a state of unhappiness. Understand, God is not Hevel. Solomon realized that the things that he pursued, the wealth, the pleasures like wine and women, hobbies and work, they were all meaningless, worthless, futile, or like a vapor. But God was the only thing that he could depend on. That is why we encourage you to have one of your financial goals to expand the kingdom of God. It could be volunteering, charity, or using your transferable skills for the church. To overcome these roadblocks, such as anchoring, I suggest you take the position of Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, when he writes, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It is in this contentment with what we have that will give us the mindset to invest as true Christian investors. So what does this have to do with Solomon and his wealth? Well, Solomon said in the very beginning, Hevel, hevel, everything is utterly hevel. He's realizing that the things that we pursue in this life are not as consistent, not as loving, and not as meaningful as God is. So when we set our expectations, once again, we have to set them on God because if we put our faith in cars, clothes, money, prestige, honor, all these things will soon fade away. Are they good to have? Yes. Are they good to use? Yes. But to put all of our faith and all of our love into them, to pursue a quality of life that we're hoping for, Solomon tells us, it's hevel. So turn yourself to God. Now building your investment portfolio. Now that you understand the mindset, I'm going to wrap this up with how to translate this into a financial plan and building your investment portfolio. Inside of your portfolio, there is most likely some assets, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, index funds, cash and cash equivalents, just to name a few. I have a video called the top seven stocks you should know about before the next market crash, where I talk about the different types of stocks and how they react in a portfolio. I'll be sure to put those links in the description. In my ebook, The Four Pillars of Christian Finance, that you can get free if you go to my website also, that link is in the description as well. In that guide, I explain the four pillars, debt management, savings, investing, and wealth transfers. Now, before you invest a dime, you need to make sure your finances have a strong foundation. That means your debt is either cleared or manageable, you have a large enough emergency or savings fund just in case, and this should be in short-term vehicles and highly liquid. That means in cash or cash equivalents like CDs, high-yield savings accounts, etc. Then we're going to focus on investing, taking the perspective of Solomon. The goal is not to just make money, but ask yourself, why? Because depending on your goal, this will determine how much risk you should take and what vehicles you should leverage for maximum return. 
Am I investing to pay my child's tuition? Maybe you want to think about a five to nine plan. Am I investing to buy a new home? If you're buying a home in the next 18 months, you may want to consider a short-term high-yield savings account. Am I investing to pass my assets to my kids or grandchildren? You may want to consider a trust. Am I investing to increase my level of financial freedom? Maybe you invest into a brokerage account or a taxable account. After answering your top questions, the next question is, how do I manage it? How do I take withdrawals out of my retirement without a lot of fees and penalties? How old am I? Am I above 59 and a half? Am I withdrawing more than what I'm making? Will this money last me for 10 or 20 years? How can I give money to my children without a huge tax bill? How can I invest that will give a better return than 0.0004 that I'm getting currently in my checking account? This is where an advisor comes in. Now understand this. Your money, your choice. You are a very intelligent person. You just need someone to help you figure it out. How to increase your return without making a big, horrific decision. When you build your portfolio, you're going to look for an allocation that fits your risk tolerance. You know that little pie chart you get on your retirement statement that explains your exposure to the market. In theory, the more equities you have or stocks, the more riskier that portfolio. The more bonds or cash you have, the less riskier. But this is just a rule of thumb because when it comes to risk, think about it. Blue chips may have less risk than junk bonds with large amount of debt exposure. So be sure to speak with your financial advisor. But that allocation, whether it's 80-20, 60-40, or 20-80, will give you a good anchor to build your investment portfolio, making adjustments as you see fit. If your pie is leaning too much to one side and you don't know why, or if it's leaning in the right direction, Go in and talk to your financial advisor and they will help you reallocate that holding if it's appropriate. So the next statement you get, take a look at it, but do me one favor. Don't use it as an anchor. That statement is one value at a time in one account. It may have been printed on a Tuesday and it could have changed on that Wednesday. But let's wrap up. Understand this. You are in control of your happiness. More money will not make you more happy. If you're not centered and emotionally stable, that is why you should turn to God and ask for guidance and just like Solomon, find substance and purpose in the life of God. Manage your money. Don't let it manage you. Money is a tool that you use to build the life you want. Money will not give you the life you want. When we build you your financial plan, our goal is to finance a life that you are happy to live. If things are not going well, we pivot. We don't quit. We pivot, we don't quit. Chasing relationships, wealth, power, and prestige are all hevel, but there's always meaning in family and God. Comparison is the thief of joy. Don't look at your neighbor's things because that takes you away from your true anchor, which is the progress you've made spiritually and financially. This is your life. Who cares if your neighbor got a higher return? Like Solomon said, even after doing the work, when you die, are you sure the next person is willing to finish it or even care about it? The goal of making money is to expand your ability to give. And as long as you stay focused on the plan God has given to you, you will be eternally happy and live in abundance. If you're a Christian, 
and you're ready to combine your faith in your finances, you need to set up a consultation with me using the link below. Go to www.abrwealthmanagement.com and schedule a time to discuss how we can help you become rich in spirit and righteous in action. Also, if you want to get started, download our free ebook that we mentioned. We give it free of charge. You go to our website. It's called The Four Pillars to Christian Finance, where we introduce you to debt management strategies, saving techniques, investing accounts, and wealth transfers. This 19-page guide will be a great foundation for Christians that want to combine their faith and their finances in one place. Well, until next time, I'm A.B. Ridgway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. I hope that you've been blessed. As always, this episode was created by A.B. Ridgway, owner of A.B. Ridgway Wealth Management, a virtual and in-person fee-only advisor that believes that financial advice should have God in it. If you need help figuring out your finances, feel free to reach out to us at 337-414-3686 or visit our website at www.abrwealthmanagement.com and schedule a free consultation. New episodes are available every Friday, so be sure to subscribe. You can also listen to our podcast on your favorite platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. Or simply visit our website and join our family. I am A.B. Ridgeway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. Elijah Ridgeway is an investment advisor representative and owner of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor which produces a podcast show and makes it available on his website and through other distribution channels. Elijah Ridgeway and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinion are not necessarily the views and opinions of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management. Nothing on the podcast should be construed as solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any specific security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become AB Ridgeway Wealth Management clients pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management may hold positions and securities discussed in the podcast. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Financial advisors say the Darnest Team podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Instead, please consult a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, and or conduct your own due diligence.